0: Welcome to Culture Bytes, where we take culture theory and turn it into everyday insights. We're powered by human synergistics, and our mission is to change the world one organization at a time. We can only do that together with our amazing community, so thank you for listening. Welcome to Culture Bytes. My name's Dominic Gawley. I'm a consultant with Human Synergistics Australia, and I'm joined by the head of consulting, Corinne Cantor. Hey, Corinne. Hey, Dom. How are you? Doing really well. So you and I did an episode a little while ago. Around the self-actualizing style and how what it means and how to build it, you know what we can do to to work on it. Yeah, we've had a few requests to do the same, but for the perfectionistic style. Mm-hmm. So this is a style I think that you know impacts a lot of people. It, it's one sometimes people are quite proud mm. almost of being a perfectionist, mm. but it can come with a cost, can't mm. it? So what I'd love to explore today with you is you know what does the perfectionistic style look like? And feel like and all that kind of stuff? How does it impact us? And then what can we do about it? Because a lot of people, I think, define themselves, I am a perfectionist, right? Yeah. I am this. So what can they do? What, what can they start changing? So maybe if we start from the top, you know, what is the perfectionist style? How do you describe it?
1: Yeah, perfectionistic styles are real. It's an interesting one because I guess it's very close to, it's next door to achievement. Mm. And as you said, people sometimes feel, Attached to perfectionistic because they feel that it contributes positively to their effectiveness, yes. and or they kind of wear it as a badge of honour mm. because they think that nothing slips by them, or that it's in,
0: like I have these. I just have really high standards. Yes,
1: right? there's the old I have really high standards, and I think that that's true. So the other thing that, as I was thinking about this session, I remember going for a job interview mm. and going through the questions that I might be asked with one of my former leaders. And one of the questions was, what are your weaknesses? Uh And his advice to me was, just give them good weaknesses. As does everyone, yes. As everyone. And I said, oh, and he said, like, perfectionist. Say that you're a perfectionist. That's a good weakness to have. Uh And I thought to myself then, it's interesting. We have this idea that if you're a perfectionist, there's something that's valuable oh. about that oh. because you're not going to slip on the small details. You've got a standard that's uh-huh. quite high. You work hard. You and... work hard. You work until it's done. And the implicit thing is that it's good for the organization, but the cost is that it's on you. Okay? Yes. So that's yep. why it was a good weakness to have because uh-huh. the cost is on me, not going to impact the organization. Yes. So there is that kind of, um, I don't know what you, you know, a kind of a, a norm of a, a value around perfectionistic. So, yeah. but it can be highly detrimental for people. So yeah. we know that perfectionistic style at a really high level can impact people's health. Yeah. So it can impact your blood pressure, it can relate to lead to migraines and sleeplessness and ulcers because the stuff that comes being Intensely perfectionistic is this enormous pressure on self, a felt sense of drive and compulsion to have to prove myself. So if we talk about what perfectionistic is, it originates from a desire to want to avoid failure, but it's task-focused. So the way that I avoid failure is to make sure that I set very high goals and if it's sitting in perfectionistic, it may be unrealistic goals, either because of what I'm trying to achieve or the time that I'm trying to achieve it in. Oh. So there's a felt sense to prove my worth through the job that I'm doing, getting the task done. I am my job. Yes. And so, with someone who's quite high in perfectionistic, probably one of the worst things that you could Tell them or say to them is that they weren't doing their job very well, uh, or that there was a problem with a part of their job. Uh, so perfectionistic is originates from this desire to want to avoid failure. And my strategy, I guess, if we can talk about it that way, is to avoid that by doing the task super, 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 super well to aim for perfection. Uh-huh. Okay, which is where this this idea that it's unrealistic comes into it. <laughs> That brings up two things for me, though, Corinne, because mm-hmm. if you're
0: saying they're afraid of failure but seeing unrealistic goals, which are maybe unattainable, yeah. isn't that seeing yourself up for failure? You know, like It seeing sure up-
1: is, and that's part of the downside of perfectionistic. But if you're really in that perfectionistic style, you probably can't see that it's an unrealistic goal. Mm. And that's one of the differences, I think, between achievement and perfectionistic. Mm. So achievement really originates from wanting to... Complete and problem solve and get things done. Mm. So the on the balance there, it's really about getting it done, getting it delivered. Uh. Perfectionistic is more about getting it perfect. Uh. And so one of the things that I find with working with leaders who are have high perfectionistic, they find it very difficult to find where that line is between a fairly challenging goal and an unrealistic goal. Uh. Too much In too little time to be achieved. So I think that there is a bit of a self-defeating loop, which is the downside of being, you know, high perfectionistic Mm. because you're setting an unrealistic goal, which either means that you're not going to achieve it Mm. or you're not going to achieve it in the way that you wanted to. So either way, you're not going to feel satisfied You're not going to be able to take pleasure in the accomplishment, which is another facet of perfectionistic, because it was never, you didn't get it to the level that you wanted it to get. Mm. Everybody could be thrilled with what you've achieved.
0: that's what I was going to ask. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Everybody could be thrilled with what you achieved, and it's over and above what they expected. But someone who's really high on perfectionistic can't gain satisfaction from that.
0: So I was going to take it the opposite way, actually. Don't you think there is a bit of a kick in that as far as everyone thinks, back to the high standards thing, right? Everyone thinks it was really good, but I know I could do better yep. kind of stuff. Yep. You know, isn't there, a, I guess, a satisfaction in that? Like, I'm just my my standards are so high.
1: I think it depends on what else is in there, right? So if mm. your standards are so high that they're unrelenting, mm. okay, like you're you're a slave to a should, oh. you know, I should have – uh, Statement or I it didn't get to the heights you know that I wanted, then depending on what else is in your profile, you can feel you know, I didn't get there. Uh, you feel like you you let yourself down, you let other people down. Uh, so if you think about perfectionistic in terms of what it wants, we've talked about the fact that it's really originating from not wanting to fail and therefore cultivating perfection, in the task, in the way something gets done. The other aspects of perfectionistic are a felt sense to need to prove myself. Mm. Okay. Now, sometimes we're unconscious to that and we just feel like we just want to go an extra mile, but there is a push factor in perfectionistic where I, I need to prove what I can do, taking on challenges in order to prove. So being kind of persistent, enduring, striving in a way that is, I guess, relentless. So there's a, a component of not being able to pull back.
0: So is this back to the I am what I do yeah. kind of stuff? So yeah. the quality of what I do is basically reflective of me as a person. But then, see, this this is where it gets tricky with perfectionism. Yes. Some of the words you use to describe it just then, persistent, yeah. enduring, like a lot of people would say, well, isn't, Being persistent and being enduring, positive, Corinne?
1: Yeah. And I think that if you think about where perfectionistic is on the circumplex, it's Uh. actually in the satisfaction zone and it's right Uh. next door to achievement. Uh. And with all of the styles, there are certain aspects of them which are more functional, Uh okay, which will be even useful. Okay, so aspects of perfectionistics like persistent, enduring, preferring action to words, Uh, practical, practical, business-like. These are all things that nothing wrong with, you know, can be quite positive. But the other aspects of perfectionistic... As you get
0: further out. As you Mm -hmm. get
1: further out, hostile, de-emphasizes feelings. Uh That's when it starts to become like a a potentially serious issue for you Uh and also for the people who work with you. So I think that there are some functional aspects to it. I think persistence and enduring isn't necessarily a helpful thing, doesn't serve if you're doing it at your own cost. Uh. Yeah. So if you are, and one of the things I think with leaders who are perfectionistic is that they'll keep going, keep pushing themselves so that because there's there's a discomfort with being vulnerable. There's mm. a, a discomfort with having any chinks in the armor because mm. part of the investment in perfectionistic is to show that I'm... Look flawless. I, I look flawless. Mm. So it's a problem for anybody to see into my vulnerability. Yeah. So persistent and endurance in that sense means that I'm armored and even if I need help, I'm not going to ask yeah, for help. Yeah, yeah. And that is when persistent and enduring is not helpful to their leader.
0: And so is some of the difference, perhaps, Corinne, persistent and enduring can be when something's not working, well, I'm going to persist and I'm going to endure and keep smashing it over and over. Same thing. Because the achievement mindset would still be, like, I still think there's a certain persistence yep. and enduring and achievement, but if it's not working, I'm going to persist it, but I'll find another way to do it. I'm yep. not going to do the same thing over and over.
1: Exactly. Or deeper and deeper, which is or typically deeper deeper. the perfectionistic the other thing is, I think too, the achievement is more oriented towards asking for support. Mm. Okay. Cause it's my sense of self worth mm. isn't invested in how people see me doing the task. Mm. My satisfaction is invested in actually doing the task well and it's pro social with people. Mm. Okay. So I think that's a difference. Some of the difference. The other thing I wanted to call out. So how do you recognize if you're, I want to talk a little bit about what are the signals that you might have perfectionistic in yourself and then LSI 1, how it shows up in LSI 2. Can I ask one more question just before we get there,
0: which was because we talked about how people see it as a positive weakness saying, you know, in the job interview, I'm such a perfectionist because there's this thing about it's more a cost on you than the business. Yeah. But you talked about that it can be detrimental to the business as well. Yeah. So I just would be interested just to pick up how How do you think, you know, being a perfectionist can impact, you know, people around you or the the organization as well?
1: Yeah, lots of examples. And I have, the other thing I wanted to call out is typically we think of perfectionistic as detail oriented. Uh So, you know, full stops out of place or there's a double space there and that kind of detail. So I think that's one way in which perfectionistic can show up is that we get caught up on the minutiae. So I had a CFO I was working with who who just had, and I think this is something with perfectionistic, there's this compulsion and it's almost Uh. so difficult to Uh. let it go. Uh. He rang me as he was working on a spreadsheet that he'd spent four hours working on. So he was on the end of his fourth hour Uh. and he, at that point, he'd recognized that he just spent about three hours too much working on this document because what he'd realized was that he didn't actually substantively change the outcome uh, of that uh, spreadsheet he refined it it kind of looked a bit more polished but it it didn't really for all the analysis that he'd done to his boss
0: didn't change much
1: didn't change much now this is a leader who was who needed to do work with his team uh, Who needed to be more approachable, Uh, who needed to spend time with uh, his team. Because sometimes as a perfectionistic leader, if it's showing up in your LSI too, sometimes you're, you come across as being so task focused. So that you're not really interested or it's hard for people to come and approach you uh, can be intimidating. This was the case with this leader. So he spent three hours working on something that didn't substantively change because he was fiddling around in the minutiae. Mm. And that was three hours that he could have spent one-on-ones oh. in having a team meeting, oh. in doing a workshop with oh. the team. Oh. Now, in previous sessions when we talk about how could he improve or become more constructive in terms of how his team perceives him, one of the things he said, he's never had time. Yeah. Okay, now...
0: Because I got to work on the spreadsheet.
1: So that was, but that was fantastic for him because he rang. It was like he caught himself being perfectionistic. uh And he just sort of said, Look, I've just wasted three hours. And I said, Well, you haven't because you've You've landed here. (laughs) You know, you've you've actually started like a great big light going on that this Mm. is an example. So that's one example. I'll give an example from my own experience. And so that one example is detail minutiae. And so for me, I've also had perfectionistic in my profile, but it's not really around detail. For me, it's around an idea or a vision. Mm. So for me, once I have an idea or a vision of how something can be, I find it enormously difficult to compromise that. Mm. And... When I used to lead a team in a telco, I had somebody working for me. Uh What I thought, I thought I was being passionate Uh around and excitement around getting this vision. Uh She just found it oppressive Uh because we got close, but it was still not good enough for me. Uh And I wouldn't necessarily ask her to do it, but she knew that I'd stayed up late and and she couldn't feel good about that. Mm. And I didn't I was blind to it because I was driven by this need to have to produce uh-huh. this idea exactly, as it, exactly, was in exactly your head. it was in my head. you know, which really, looking back now, I thought, you know, it doesn't have it didn't have to be like that. And in the process of trying to create something that I was so absorbed in, I had blinkers on, Mm. and that's one another impact with perfectionistic leaders. You can't see the impact that you're having. Forest from the trees kind of stuff, yeah. and you can't see, you know, the impact that you're having on people, and you can't see, is this a good use of my time? You know, does it really need to be that specific, you know, that amount of detail? Mm. So I think there are a couple of examples where the business certainly didn't need that you know, it was a decision that I made, it was a decision that to see a firm foe made, and we set the level. Uh, and in setting the level, we exhausted ourselves and we negatively impacted our team. Uh, Ultimately, that was a good not a good impact on the organization.
0: Uh, yeah, it can be exhausting to people around because sometimes imperfections can get into micromanagement and stuff because... Yeah. It's hard to let go of, yeah. you know, what I want and yeah. all that stuff.
1: And I was going to say, in an LSI too, that's how my it might show up is micromanaging. And I wanted to say that micromanaging from perfectionistic is going to be different from micromanaging from power. Mm-hmm. Okay. The reason why I'm doing it is different. I could have both perfectionistic and power in my profile. But if I've just got perfectionistic, then I'm micromanaging because I have a very low tolerance for anything going wrong mm. or for anything deviating from the way I think it should be. Mm. So I micromanage because I'm, sure it I'm attached to the way it gets done, yes. not just what gets done. Yes, And so I need to supervise what you're doing. And in an organisation, if you're a leader and you end up playing supervisor... Mm.
0: And you you're operating at the wrong level.
1: Wrong level, yeah. So I think... LSI 2, the kind of things of how it shows up is the leaders where it shows up as detail-oriented, it's almost like you can't help yourself. The mistakes leap off the page Uh and they might start with that in terms of feedback. You might get really attached to a particular vision, idea or how you want something done. So it's not just the what, it's the how Mm. that you get caught up in. You might also... Because you become so task-focused, you become blinkered, and so sometimes one of the critiques of high perfectionistic leaders is they don't involve others Uh in the designing or the the thinking or the developing of the solution. They go off and do it all themselves. They come back and then they try and sell it in. Right. But then they don't get buy-in necessarily. They don't own, own
0: the plan, yeah. No.
1: So that's another example. They need to oversee And so that's sort of LSI too, you know, is showing up as requiring others to work long and hard hours and focus on the detail, report on the detail, Mm. regardless of whether it helps to move the team or the organization towards the outcome. So
0: it's it's almost a focus on the task and the detail, but not necessarily the effectiveness. Correct. Right? Because we're not, it's not about what's moving the needle, what's actually making a difference. It's almost task for task's sake, like it's got to be a certain way.
1: Yeah, and it's an attachment to the, it's a prescription around how it needs to be. So I had one leader I was working with who also had perfectionistic and power along with high levels of achievement and sort of self-actualizing Then. One of the examples he did, he came in and took over a team, a new team, and they were a sales team. And he, in trying, this was his attempt to be helpful, he gave them a template that worked for him Uh in terms of sales. And he said, use this, you know, it it gave him the data he needed and it worked for him. Uh The team didn't feel they had any choice in it they weren't involved in discussing how to use it or what bits might work or transfer etc they just felt it to be a imposition and something uh, that wasn't completely relevant to their circumstance uh, and they didn't feel that he was approachable uh, to talk about it so when we talked about that example later and and he was kind of stumped because he was trying to be helpful he was trying to be humanistic encouraging by giving a tool. Right. And, you know, in a lot of circumstances, some people really might have welcomed that, mm. but it was also how he delivered it, uh-huh. you know, in terms of this is what you will use. Right. It's really helpful, don't you think? Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know. And um, so one of the things with perfectionistic, with this example, we said he could have said, This is something I've used. It was really helpful for me. What do you guys think about it? Mm. Is it something that you could use or what bits do you think? So involve them in developing their own template. That would have demonstrated his openness to be influenced, Uh. humanistic encouraging, and it would also get them owning and helping them to see the kind of things he needed to track, Uh. which wasn't what he was getting. So some of these things are quite subtle and I find that I really feel for leaders sometimes who are high perfectionistic and they put so much effort into trying to Uh. do humanistic encouraging. My tip to you, if you're a leader who's high perfectionistic, is the trap is that you're going to try and do relationship as if it was a task. Uh. So you're going to have a checklist of things that you're going to do, like take people out for coffee and put them on a training course and, you know, have a one to one meeting, you know. So you're going to look like you're doing all All the things, and that's a good sort of structured list to have. But Uh. you at some point have to connect, you know. And and I think when a leader's high perfectionistic, they're all tasks, so it's hard to connect with the person versus Uh the leader or the manager.
0: Uh huh. So we've we've scheduled in time for fun and (laughs) relationships. So, So (laughs) what, what, what I remember a, a Danish boss said that it was a joke, but. Because people, kind of <laughs> people called him like, you know, the robot and stuff like that. Joke, like, not We joking. have scheduled time for fun from 3 to 3.15. So on that note, though, Corinne, what can mm. leaders do? Because, you know, if, if it's not that kind of task approach to it, what is the approach? What do you do different?
1: Yeah. And as we talk about that, what I want to do is just talk a little bit about how perfectionistic shows up in LSI 1 because okay. that's what, where you need that's to start. That's where it's driving, yeah. Yeah. So in an LSI one, it's entirely possible for somebody to have high perfectionistic in an LSI one and have it not show up mm. in LSI two, LSI two mm. in which case the voice, it's the voice in your head uh-huh. that is setting unrealistic goals that's pushing you to demonstrate your worth, mm. to look good, to mm. appear flawless, to mm. have all the answers. Mm. And one of the things I always think is interesting is sometimes I have an exercise where I ask people to rate a particular issue on a scale of one to 10. Of how important it is say, or something? Satisfaction, effectiveness, you name okay, it. Yeah. It could be any scale. And there'll always be at least one person that says, I never give full marks.
0: Yes. And, oh, I've heard that a lot. Yeah. And
1: they will say, the reason often is they'll I'll never give full marks. And they might say something like, because I always think that there's more to learn.
0: Yes, I've heard that too, yep.
1: (laughs) And I always think, wow, okay, that's interesting, because there's an assumption in there. And to to my mind, more often than not, if it's an LSI workshop, that person has got perfectionistic in their Uh profile, Uh because I think that you could give yourself full marks in recognition of what it is that you're good at, Without assuming that there's no more room to learn, for uh-huh. you know? where I
0: am today yeah. and stuff. Yeah. So
1: it's a it's a mindset. So in LSI, LSI one, the self talk will be tough taskmaster. Yeah. And a real not good enough. Yeah. Try harder. You've got to fix it. I should have. I ought to. So this is the language of the self talk, the voice in the head. So it's a real relentless pushing, nothing ever is quite good enough. Sometimes in LLSI-1, if perfectionistic is really out there beyond the 75th percentile, Mm. it's highly likely that it's difficult for that person to feel good even about their best. Mm. They could give 100% effort and they wouldn't feel that it was enough. Mm. And this is something important to have to for them to recognize that it, that's not workable, it's not sustainable, you're not going to be able to derive satisfaction from who you are or what you do, if that's the the case.
0: Their, their claim, though, looping back to the never giving myself full marks, is that what that's what drives me to then yeah. go to the next level and the next level, right? As yeah. this, I'm never satisfied with my performance.
1: Yeah. And I think... That's the fear of failure, right? It it originates from that. I'm never satisfied with my performance. The question for me is, can you recognize what good performance looks like? If you're never satisfied, can you recognize, make a judgment call Uh. around when something is good, accomplishes the task? Because the problem with never being satisfied is that's not actually a measure of effectiveness. Uh. Okay. So we and a lot of CEOs have perfectionistic avoidance in their LSI one and it's this fear of failure oh. that they think is a part of their success formula because it it stops them from failing.
0: Okay. <laughs> because but, they think it stops them from being complacent. Yeah. Or something? Yeah. Yeah.
1: And and also it means that they think of everything, they've got all right. bases covered and right. And the other thing I think with it is at what cost, mm. you know, at what cost to them because they're often exhausted mm. and there's an anxiety, there's a performance anxiety that mm. that comes with mm. that as well. So I think in terms of I'm successful because I'm never satisfied, I guess the counter to that or a different view would be what would it be like to actually achieve something and be satisfied with it and and talk about. You know, what would that be like Uh, versus uh, never being satisfied? What's useful? What serves about never being satisfied? And could you achieve that in another way? uh, So I think in terms of the LSI 1 and how you work with it. So a couple of things. I think from an LSI 1 point of view, the first thing that I really encourage leaders to do is to just get to know how that perfectionistic, the voice in their head. Mm. even Sometimes it's a whisper. We've been doing it for so long, Uh. it feels like it's normal and it feels like common sense. Uh. A a lot of leaders will say, well, what's wrong with that? It's just about going the extra mile. Uh And it's helping them distinguish between going the extra mile from achievement Uh. that's finite, that has a delivery, Uh. versus from perfectionistic. So I think the first thing LSI one is to just notice yourself, notice the language that you use, notice, you know, your ability to switch off and to complete and let it go. Uh. So it's about self auditing, Uh. you know, and um, going through a process of understanding, reading what this style's like and then seeing it how it shows up. Then to work with any defensive style, you really need to be able to reframe and redirect, okay? So if you catch yourself leaning in and over somebody's shoulder and reading what they're saying, then you've got to reframe in terms of how can I help them deliver their best work? Uh. Redirect your energy, your attention by giving yourself something to do that helps them do that. Mm. So a couple of the things that I think are useful to help leaders who are perfectionistic, because the other thing that happens is they go from micromanaging to abdicating. Uh They do delegation as an abdication. They go to the extremes. Yeah, Yeah. and then they say it didn't work. Yeah, they Mm -hmm. failed, yeah. They failed, and sometimes they failed because they weren't competent. So you don't delegate something when someone's not competent. So one Mm -hmm. of the things that I've encouraged leaders to do is to – a person's not going to be able to switch from being perfectionistic if they can't get the detail that they need.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Yeah. So it's going to be, we have to help them step away. Uh-huh. So instead of using standing over somebody's shoulder and checking the work that they're doing as a way of getting the detail that they need, give people an example of what good looks like. So, if they're writing a report, show them an example of what the five things that they need that you need to see mm. and give them an example of what a good example of that is. Mm. So, clarity on the, the clarity, frame they're working with them. Yep. Very clear goal, clear expectations, but also remember how is important to perfectionists. So, to begin with, just give them an example, a checklist that your people can self assess mm. so that they know that they're not going to bring it to you until they've covered those things off. Uh And the other thing that I think is important for people, leaders who've got perfectionistic is to agree with your team member when they're going to check in. Okay. When Uh can you expect to check in? Because sometimes what happens is you go to this new coaching mode, Uh but you haven't agreed, Uh you know, what or when can I expect to report in a milestone because they're not used to doing it. Right. So it's just changed suddenly (laughs) on them too. And so, if you can agree how regularly, like the rhythm of getting back information, that will help them their, I guess, anxiety in terms of not being in control. Uh, you know, so agree with your team member what needs to be done, the level at which it would be done, some, some, a checklist for how they can check themselves. Uh, and preferably, if you've got an example of what good looks like, so that you're not, you're talking about, an example of what you'd like them to reflect and emulate without it being too prescriptive.
0: So that was going to be my question is with a checklist, yeah. like do you have to be conscious of, you know, leaving it at the objective kind of level versus, because I could see a checklist could be 100 points, you know, 100-point yeah. yeah, checklist from
1: sure. perfection. That's yeah. the point of view, yeah. right? Do yeah. all these things. Good question. And yeah. you haven't really changed anything. No. You know? So the checklist really around the outcome. Mm. Okay, it has to mention these three issues. We're going to take it to the board, or we're going to take it to the CEO. They're gonna. So it's really around. What are the, we trying to achieve? Correct. Yeah. It's around the outcome. Yeah. And if there are, you know, and then it's it's letting them stepping away and letting them try. Because the other thing that that does is open up a discussion with your direct report. Because then they can ask questions. Do you want this or that? What yeah. about you know?
0: And it also lets you self-assess, I guess, and saying, because that's an achievement approach, right, of what are we trying to achieve. Yeah, It lets you, I guess, self-assess as well when they come with something that's maybe different from what you expected, but being able to check your own checklist and say, well, does it meet this criteria and and that objective?
1: That's exactly right. Because in having that conversation, you have now set a criteria for yourself. Mm. And so if it does meet all the criteria, but you feel a bit, you know, you would have done it this way, you can let that go, Mm. you know. So part of it is actually giving, so I call it scaffolding. When people change, they've got to redirect to something else. They can't, otherwise you're just asking them to stop it Mm. without any kind of real support. So now the idea is you start with the checklist, but eventually you want them to get to a point where they don't need to write that down. You can have a conversation, but initially make it easier for yourself. Yeah, yeah. So that's one thing is I think the the checklist, what good looks like in terms of an example. Set milestones, encourage, like set kind of a minimum level milestone, but negotiate that so that you know when you're going to get information. Uh-huh. Make sure that there's enough time. If it's something that needs your approval, that you've got enough time to read it, you know, and, and have a conversation around it. So I think that kind of scaffolding is really useful. The other stuff is one of the things sometimes it's about managing time with perfectionistic so people get caught up in the wrong tactical activities versus Uh where they should be spending time. So a simple activity for a leader is to draw on a piece of paper, high value, low value. Uh There's lots of versions of this, but Uh this version is high value of the things that only you can do. Your boss is measuring you against these things. Uh-huh. So you can't delegate them. Uh-huh. You can't defer them. And then the low value or lower value is everything that you do but doesn't require you to do it. Yeah. Okay. In which case or might not
0: require doing at all. <laughs>
1: correct. So do you stop that, you know, defer it, delegate it or just stop it altogether? Right. Yeah. And then one of the activities, especially if you're a coach working with someone, is to look at the high-value activities and then review the calendar, their diary. Get them Uh to review their diary and see if how much of their time is actually going on that high-value stuff versus how much of their time is actually going on the low-value stuff. Uh. So that's another thing is just becoming conscious of how you're spending your time and where you're spending it and whether you're putting it in the right things at the right level some scaffolding for your team around your clear expectations and the goals around the outcome uh-huh. versus the way they get things done. A couple of examples. That's more. The other one is Susan Scott in Fierce Conversations came up with, I always get the name of this wrong. I'm sure people will correct me, but <laughs> it's decision delegation tree. So someone's yelling at the podcast right now. Of no. course, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> and I would just ask you to reflect whether you're being perfectionistic there. No. So she uses the example of a tree as a way of helping people understand levels of decision making and yeah. how to delegate that. So in her model, it's leaf is do it, act, go for it, go for it. Yeah. Branch is do it, tell me later. Yeah. Trunk is. Come to me, we'll discuss it, then act. Uh huh. Okay. And then four is refer decision up. Right. It's my decision. My decision. So that can be a really good tool to use because it's, uh, it's one of what I call like a back of a napkin tool. You could draw it on a napkin. That's all you need. Yeah. You know, and then as a leader who, A, you don't have a lot of time, but it's a good practice to help you be humanistic, encouraging, explain it to your people, get them to fill it in. Oh. And then come back and have a discussion with you around an agreement of where what the levels mean. Sometimes people don't like using the trees, so it's just level one, two, three, four. But that couldn't be a really good way of beginning to use a coaching approach to achieving tasks. Uh-huh. And that's what we're trying to do really with perfectionistic is get them to kind of move, build flexibility. Uh-huh. In their their thinking style and their leadership style,
0: and that sounds like it goes back to that clarity of framework, right? So, what other things you can make a decision about without involving me or involving me after, and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, are we just clear on that? Because I imagine working for a perfectionist manager or leader, people probably start thinking over time that yeah. everything has to be checked in. Yeah, and it's kind of a loop because then the leader's like, "Well, my people need my input on everything." Yeah, so they, you know, they must. Yeah not be capable of themselves, something like that. So it kind of feeds itself, doesn't it?
1: And I think sometimes, um, I think Marshall Goldsmith used to say, sometimes leaders, you know, this can happen perfectionistic and competitive as well. And, and also the Blue Styles is we add too much value. Uh-huh. So, you know, like we can't help but tinker, make a comment here on a report or, you know, like suggest something. And sometimes I think, does it really need to... Do you really need to suggest that? Do you really need to, you know, highlight something in the report? So to me, one of the the good distinctions for perfectionists is to distinguish, especially if you're looking at writing or even a, a project, is is what is my comment substantive? huh Or is it cosmetic? Uh-huh. And if it's cosmetic, let Believe it go.
0: Mm-hmm. Awesome, Corinne. Any other final tips?
1: I was going to ask you, Dom. What, oh. what tips have you uh, garnered as you've been doing your work <laughs> uh, with your debriefs? Oh, look! I think for me, it's it's focusing on what matters. So
0: sometimes I've found for perfectionists, sometimes swinging to the people side of the circumflex is almost a step too far. Yeah, like they can't kind of do it. So sometimes instead, it's redirecting upwards to achievement instead. So what does that look like? Yeah, how is that different? How would that show up? And just doing a reframe like that.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think that sometimes, especially if you you're low, if someone's low on people' side in a profile, it's quite difficult for them to suddenly walk around the office and have chats about you know people's yeah. weekends. Yeah, and it's or, not sometimes yeah. it's
0: not natural for them, and, and and it can go back to that thing of I have high standards. And it's like achievements. still about standards. We yeah. want to achieve excellence, right? Yeah. It's not about because. People go to extremes. So if it's not perfect, then it's mediocre or it's poor mm. quality. Like, that's absolutely not what I'm saying. We still want to achieve fantastic outcomes and results and stuff like that, but they're realistic and yeah. they're achievable. They're stretched, but they're achievable. So I think that gives them some reassurance that it's not just throwing standards out the window. No, we still have standards and results. And results. But it's just how we do them, right? It's actually more—it's about effectiveness rather than just the task. So yeah. that's sometimes the approach I take. All right, Corinne.
1: there's one oh, go for it. One thing I was going to say, I like the acronym CLEAR. So mm. a blue leader is a clear leader, mm-hmm. and so communicate clear expectations. You yep. Just communicate, listen. Yeah. So if you're doing more of the talking in your relationship with your Teams or your peers, you're not listening enough, uh, and so listening leads to involving. Uh, so listen, engage, and empower. Uh-huh. Address issues quickly and recognize effort as well as results. Uh, so I think that's like a handy little. I think if leaders do that, uh, am I clear?
0: Uh,
1: you know, you'll end up being in that. Playing in that constructive
0: space beautiful great note to end on love that to corinne thanks for the chat hope that helps uh the people who had those questions about perfectionistic out there as well i'll see you on another podcast soon corinne
1: thanks Storm. we
0: will do definitely thanks for listening to this episode of culture bites if you enjoy the show remember to subscribe on itunes stitcher soundcloud or wherever you get your podcasts also Leave us a review. It helps other people to find the show. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, email podcast at human-synergistics.com.au. We'd love to answer it. This podcast is copyrighted by Human Synergistics Australia. All rights reserved. To learn more about what we do, visit human-synergistics.com.au.